This is the Let's Grab Coffee podcast, and I'm your host, George Khalifa. Paul, uh, I said I'd, I'd say it again, but hey, thanks again for, for coming on uh, the Let's Grab Coffee podcast. You're both uh, a friend. You know, I, I consider you a friend, obviously, and a peer uh, in the Chicago startup ecosystem. So I appreciate you coming on, man. George, I, I'm a big fan of yours uh, ever since we connected in 2020 through the Canadian consulate. Uh, lo- lo- love your podcast and the people you have on the show. I, I often have this on uh, on repeat at the gym between deadlifts, and uh, I'm honored you, you you have me here today. Thank you. Well, listen. I, hopefully, I'm I'm uh, a positive consequence of some of your personal records. But Paul Su is uh, a founder and CEO of Decasonic, which is a, a venture and digital asset fund here in Chi Town, building blockchain innovation. It's really supporting the next iteration of technology. Aside from blockchain, it's really, you know, Web3, the metaverse coming up. And, you know, as a tech investor and and former operator, Paul always looks to partner with, you know, founders really looking to accelerate product market fit and just trying to do some really innovative stuff on the early stage of things. And so super fond of of Paul. And uh, and again, just wanted to give that that context for folks listening. And Paul, I guess for, for folks who might not be aware, when we first met, I remember you telling me that, you know, you came to Chicago from the coasts and obviously gave you a, a little bit of a weird look. I'm like, what, what is someone who used to live in either NYC or, or the Bay Area uh, doing now in the Midwest? But since you learned from the coast, you know, I, I, I love the cold, <laughs> just like Elsa. <laughs> you migrated to the right place, my friend. Um, but what are some lessons, Paul? I mean, we always hear about the coasts, right? Uh, as sort of always being on the on the tip of the sphere. So curious, what are some lessons you learned applying here in Chicago? Uh, absolutely. Um, yes, stepping back a little bit, I, I believe in people osmosis, uh, a condition of social contagion where we're influenced by the cultures we live in. Uh, we have an ability to influence and be influenced by the people and the, the, the people we spend time with and the culture we help define. Uh, you know, for parents like me, this is all about modeling good behavior, good, good Montessori stuff. Uh, for leaders, this is lead by example. Um, for venture investors like me, though, I, I look to partner with outlier founders. So it, it's all about executing like an outlier founder. Uh, at Decasonic, we, we invest in top tier talent out there. Uh, today, there's tremendous talent in blockchain and Web3 and even more coming into our space. Uh, I, I call these top tier founders, outlier founders. Uh, they have a winner mindset, a do or die hustle, and a conviction around a vision that propels them forward in, in these market cycles. Um, so a, as an investor, I draw on my two decades of venture and operating experience to best serve our customers, th- those founders. Uh, to, to your question, for, for me, living on the West Coast uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, th- this influenced me to pay it forward, uh, to, to think big and, and set up that vision with, with a large conviction. Um, some of the best founders in the Bay Area operate this way. They evangelize optimism uh, that makes one want to join that Steve Jobs-like pirate ship building innovation. Mm. Um, I, I grew up in the East Coast, uh, also operated in New York. Uh, This influenced me to dig deeper into culture, set up aggressive metrics, uh, OKRs, and and align uh, media and brands with technology. Um, Some of those best founders in New York operate this way. 
with a pulse of consumer leading edge cool. Trendsetting is both an art and a science, and New York does this extremely well. Um, you know, of course, Georgia, you also forget that I spent time overseas in, in East Asia, mm -hmm. um, aka the Far East Coast, <laughs> uh, particularly in Tokyo. Uh, Tokyo influenced me to be respectful of uh, communities, execute in structured ways uh, that the Japanese and Germans do extremely well. Um, and, and then also consider group benefits as well as individual rights. Uh, some of the best founders in Tokyo are able to form these large communities. Uh, I, I just happened to be in Tokyo during the tsunami in March of 2021. Um, and it was such a tremendous personal and professional experience seeing a nation come together under this tragedy. Um, you know, th this leads, uh, leads me to today. You know, I, I'm, I'm on the third coast, Chicago, uh, where, where my wife and I have called home since 2018. Mm -hmm. um, we had surveyed a bunch of different cities, Austin, Denver, St. Louis, Memphis, um, you know, for, for the love of communities, schools, public and private yeah, diversity, we chose Chicago. Uh, Chicago is closer to the mainstream. And you know, I'll, I'll talk about this later, but if I'm building mainstream digital technology products, I want to be closer to that culture. Um, you know, cri crypto today is worldwide. And these lived experiences, uh, I believe, form this international business bond that helps drive the mainstream adoption for blockchain. Uh, you know, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm the son of immigrants and, and my wife is a refugee. We pride ourselves on raising our family with traditional immigrant values, hard work, humility, frugal living, um, lots of living and, and, you know, an outlook for a better tomorrow. Um, I approach my, my investments with that same lens. Hmm. I mean, there, there's definitely a lot to unpack there. I think the, the, the first thing I, I just wanted to sort of double down on is you mentioned outlier founders a lot, especially in the beginning part of, of what you were saying. Curious, like, how do you define that? What, what makes someone an outlier founder to you? You know, more, more art than science, although increasingly I, I'm trying to quantify what, what an outlier founder <laughs> is. Uh, of course, statistically, uh, outliers are the top of the top, you know, three, four, five standard deviations from the mean. Uh, we, we, we summarize this on our, on our website, you know, uh, a winner mindset, you know, um, that positive optimism, uh, the ability to evangelize uh, through uncertainty, a do or die hustle. Um, you know, being a founder working at a startup is extremely hard work. And, and I, I'm very appreciative of all the founders who take that journey and, and all the families that, you know, make, make those sacrifices. Um, and, and, and lastly, uh, there, there, there's something about a founder who, uh, is an outlier versus mediocre, who, who, who can set that vision, evangelize that vision to, hmm. uh, the open source community, to employees, to customers. Uh, it's a conviction in what might be non-consensus. You know, how do you think differently and create that future? Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing that really stood out in terms of what you were saying is, and, and this is very true, especially about the Japanese culture. When when I visited, I felt the same way. I mean, the biggest takeaway I, I, I got from, from having visited Japan was just how nice people were. Honestly, like it's something that viscerally stands out the most 
aside from all its beauty, of course, and, you know, it has so much to offer food, of course, but uh, you really leave feeling like, wow, this is, this is how people should be. You know, it's, I mean, just camaraderie with random people and the way they invite tourists and, and welcome them with open arms. That was something that stood out to me as well. We're, we're, we're all on this together, you know, in, in crypto, we're all going to make it. And, uh, you know, the, the most successful people in my career are those who uh, think positive some. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, and, and for you, it must have been a nice vantage point where you're sitting now, you know, in Chicago, the Midwest, to have the sort of far to have both East Coast cultures in the U.S. and now being literally physically in the middle. Uh, I think it's both it's, it's both me- metaphorically and physically true, right? You're kind of right. con- converging all the different pieces. Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely, absolutely, and, and, and you know, I I, I think uh, you know, being open minded and blending you know different ideas make me a a, a, a better operator and a better investor. You know, I think about world-class performers all the time, uh, especially in these two areas of expertise that, that I have aspirations to achieve greatness. Um, I've been a two-decade early-stage technology investor and hyper-growth operator, mm. and I still think that, that I have so much more to learn, uh, so, so much more to learn from different cultures, different people. Diversity wins over time. Um, yeah. If you had a mural and you had, like, let's say, four spots, who would you fill those four spots with in terms of world-class performers? It could be anyone, artist, celebrity, uh, athlete, entrepreneur. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm so indebted by, uh, you know, what, what my parents have done. Um, you know, it's hard not to put, you know, both of them in two of those slots, you know. Respect. So mom and dad up um, top? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm a student of technology and, and it's hard to, um, or, or, you know, I, I think about all the, uh, uh, inventors and innovators before me, you know, um, I, I have a lot of respect for those game changers. So wh- whether it's jobs or, or, uh, Steve case, uh, mm. or, or, uh, it, you know, um, Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg. You know, these are tremendous people with tremendous uh, uh, transformative impact in our industry. Nice. So, so the bottom two would be, would be some somewhat world world changers in, in the sense. Um, yeah, I think it's important just for people to get a feel of sort of, sort of getting in, in the mind of, of Paul when it comes to, to, to some of these things. <laughs> you mentioned being obviously an operator, uh, now an investor, but I think you probably still wear both hats simultaneously when the situation deserves it. But curious, what are, what are your thoughts on the differences between being an operator versus now being an investor? So some of the best operators I know I, I know are also very good capital allocators. Uh, yeah, the, the hmm. folks at Amazon are tremendous in, in, in this regard. Uh, yeah, some of the best operators have angel investment track records that are tremendous. Uh, you know, how, how they're able to accelerate learning in new markets and help founders uh, from their operating experience is world-class. Um, yeah, at the same time, some of the best investors I know were also previously very good operators as well. Um, how they're able to deploy a similar 
value add to founders is equally world-class. Um, uh, a little bit more about my background as an investor operator, you know, d- during web one, uh, I'm so grateful that Tony Pantuso hired me as a young professional into uh, Neocarta Ventures, a, a $300 million venture fund on Sand Hill Road in, in Silicon Valley. Um, I was able to apprentice under him and Tom Naughton, building that track record, developing battle scars, uh, and, and investing across uh, you know, the, the first internet bubble and across market cycles. Um, yeah, in, in Web2, I, I then went on to get my operating experience. Some of the best investors have that operating experience. Uh, I joined the Web2 revolution in 2009 at Zynga. Uh, Zynga was the game publisher and developer of Farmville, Mafia Wars, uh, Words of Friends. We, we were systematically creating franchise after franchise on social networks. Um, I, I joined Zynga just as Facebook opened up their APIs to go battle MySpace, uh, you know, blast from the past. Um, gaming is the tip of the spear of product and growth innovation. And I, I learned from some best at Zynga, Vish Makajani. Robert Goldberg, Mark Pincus, Bing Gordon, John Schapper, Dave Weiner, and, and especially Steve Chang. I mean, you, you've had the vantage point to also see it from so many different angles. Um, you know, you've worked for sizable funds, but you've also worked for companies that were on sort of that, that hockey stick trajectory in very exciting spaces. And, and being at Zynga at, at that time, I mean, it was still somewhat early for, for the gaming space in general, right? I mean, now it's still nascent, but it's, it's more on the come up and you see many more startups in that space. So that must've felt exciting to be where you were sort of mid 2000s. I mean, right. With all that excitement around you in the startup world. Uh, you know, get, yeah. Get, gaming leads product innovation. Uh, the, the gaming industry is a trendsetter for technology uh, uh, change. You know, gaming is a sector with brutal, brutal product cycles um, in a world where most content perishes over time. The biggest question is how fast do you build the next product uh, S curve? Uh, is it weekends, months, quarters, or years? Uh, you know, so, some games can last, uh, or some games can perish within months. Uh, some games become franchises and transcend generations. Uh, you know, but between my experience at Zynga and my CTO's 21 years of experience at Google and DoubleClick. We, we pride ourselves on building these billion dollar web two products from scratch. And now, now we're, we're deploying these playbook playbooks to innovative frontier of web three. It's uh, it, it's a lot of fun. Are you a gamer at all, Paul? I, I, I wish I gamed a lot more than, than I do today. Um, I, I, I do play a lot of games with my daughter. Nice. Well, what's the throwback? I, I know you mentioned, you know, games that transcend, generations but also i would say cultures too i mean one example for me was crash bandicoot right like that was my og game like on the on the ps1 even ps2 when, when the graphics came out in color um but what would that be for you if you had a throwback game to to mention i remember playing tetris on game boy <laughs> <laughs> yes bring out the game boy and poke i mean that's so synonymous that's with with pokemon for me as soon as i think of a, about game boy i mean that was the biggest game right that's right that's right they made airplanes um doable before there were screens as they do now (laughs) um hey paul i know you mentioned um you know you made a decision to move to chicago 
with your wife, um, you know, when, when you were at the time looking at different regions and you were considering different areas like maybe Arizona, Austin, some other hotbeds. I know you mentioned sparingly kind of the reasons, but I, I want to, I really want to dig deeper on that, especially to, to better understand why you picked Chicago in terms of the next, call it 10 years, just for now, in terms of being both an investor operator, but also now that you think you said 2018, what your thoughts are on the Chicago startup ecosystem? Yeah, yeah absolutely. In 2018, I, I'm, moved our family, young family, and planted our flag in Chicago uh, so I could build Decasonic along the best crypto market talent in the world. Uh, Chicago is crypto capital of the world, and uh, Chicago is the biggest, best-kept secret in the world of technology. Uh, High-frequency traders can be secretive with their tech talent, and that's why for a a tech builder, an investor like me, um, yeah, I can find alpha. Um, today in fault market in Chicago, the tech ecosystem is flourishing. A, a lot of companies are moving into that region. Chicago is the port of entry for, for the world's crossroads between you know, the West Coast, the East Coast, the Far East Coast, direct flights everywhere. Um, and that traditional hard work ethic is baseline for, you know, my outlier founders. And, you know, I, I find a lot of that in, in Chicago, substance over marketing, you know, roll up those sleeves, get shit done. Um, regionally, Chicago is the third largest city in, in the U.S., fifth largest venture market uh, uh, behind San Francisco, L.A., New York, and Boston. Um, there's immense talent in digital assets and DeFi in Chicago. And, we, we've had a lot of success investing and building alongside founders here in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, these are all really, really solid points, right? And I think even for me, I mean, the one thing I will say to that, Paul, and I don't know if you felt that as well before you actually moved here, and maybe you had more context because you actually lived in the U.S., but I came from Canada, and when I moved to Chicago, before I moved, like before I was actually, you know, a member of the community, going to the events and connecting with folks like you, I swear to you, Paul, full transparency, I didn't know any of these anecdotes, right? And I just, I never really had a reason to drill down on some of the data points around the ecosystem. But I didn't, I didn't know, for, for instance, that, you know, um, VC-backed startups output some of the highest returns in Chicago, or we have the highest concentration of female-founded startups. I mean, there were so many of these, in addition to what you mentioned, so many of these um, facets that are so important to the to the market, but I feel like they weren't as marketed maybe as they are now, I think the, the ecosystem is doing a better job. You know, and there are some initiatives um, that really seek to highlight that. But that was one of the things for me. It was like when, when I got, I was just surprised by how awesome the ecosystem was, but how little they were promoting it. Uh, uh, an early stage investor like myself, I, I always think about gap upside. You know, how, how high is that potential and how close are we to, to that high potential? Chicago has high potential or we're, we're nowhere near executing towards that potential. And, and that gap upside is something I, I think about with our region, our nation, the companies I work with, you know, and, you know, one, one of the ways I I'm solving that gap upside is uh, to set up Silicon Valley style venture funds, uh, you know, uh, in, in Chicago catalyzing capital formation 
and that flywheel outside of the coast. Um, you know, half my fund syndicate is from Chicago. Uh, another quarter are ex-colleagues. Most of them are technical, like, like myself. Um, all of them are positive. Some people with tremendous uh, success, both per- professionally and personally. Um, you know, I purposely focus my fundraise on Chicago investors, uh, my neighbors, my fellow community members, um, friends of friends, uh, other tech and civic leaders. We, we are oversubscribed pretty quickly and they have access to, to near permanent capital. Yeah, and I love something that you say all the time, which is, you know, Chicago is the best kept secret, you know, uh, which, which is so true. I mean, I think just in terms of opportunities, it really hits home. Like that's, that's a perfect tagline to use. I want to highlight, obviously, the fund uh, a little more. And I, I love how you're not only keeping the fund itself from an investor perspective, you know, who's actually coming into the fund, somewhat Chicago-based, but is there also the um, intention to invest only in Chicago companies, Midwest companies? Just curious what the geographic focus would be. Uh, smart people are everywhere. Um, yeah, it, it, it's hard to have an investment strategy localized to one region, whether it's Silicon Valley only, New York only, or, or Chicago only. Um, I, ideally, I, I want to spend time side by side with our founders, uh, working extremely hard to co-build their hyper growth. I, I think that's accelerated when I could drop by, take a flight and go see them and iterate on product growth. Um, we recently announced you know, in the Wall Street Journal our final close of this crypto native seed stage venture fund. Uh, tribute to my Chinese parents. We we close it with a lot of eights, you know, forty eight point eight eight million. <laughs> uh, you know, it's on the best eighty eight investors a founder could have. You know, um, I, I, I'm here to personally commit to a founder's success, and a lot of that is face to face to. Uh, uh, commit to, you know, uh, that greatness. Well, uh, of course, you know, I, I, I had the, the, um, the pleasure of at least being with you in person before the announcement. So uh, I did say my congrats, but of course, again, congrats. You can never oh, say congrats you. too many times. I mean, thank you. <laughs> th- this stuff should be celebrated, right? Um, Paul, excuse my, my ignorance if I ask this question, but, and I actually never, I, I didn't even pay attention to the fact that there were so many eights, but was that actually... I'm, I'm assuming it wasn't, you know, maybe that intentional, but is the result of that many eights maybe a lucky number in, in, in Chinese culture? Just curious what, what, what the analogy is there. Uh, eights are fortunate in, in Chinese culture. And um, yeah, just two days ago, we, we celebrated uh, uh, Lunar New Year. Correct. Year of the Tiger and, um, yeah, R- rather than a random number like 50 or 51 or <laughs> 60, you know, uh, why, why, why fight fate, you know, why fight fate? Well, there you go. I mean, what better way to, to celebrate the year of the tiger with a $48.88 million that's fund right. and 88 investors. That That's really cool. Um, and so the intention is you're investing roughly a mil, uh, seed stage in, in web three companies. You know, and, and I think there's there's so much transformation. Um, obviously, if you if you drill down on some of those verticals, aside from metaverse, you know, um, you have DeFi, you have NFTs, you have gaming, Web three. There's so many things to look at. 
So curious, what what exactly do you look for when you're actually investing in some of these companies? Uh, uh, absolutely, we, we we focus on the use cases and adoption of Web three. Um, you know, from crypto natives today to mainstream America. You know, uh, this is today's billion user opportunity, the trillion dollar white space, the, the holy grail of blockchain is finding these use cases. Um, you know, a venture investor calls this product market fit. Um, yeah, a product executive just says the, these are just strong user value propositions that we can go build. Blockchain today has roughly 300 million users uh, with about 28 million in the US. Blockchain today is internet 1999, yeah, but it's growing faster than the internet. These network effects, uh, when you add data, value, open source code, it's, it's compounding faster. Um, yeah, since August, we, we, uh, we've warehoused a few deals, invested funds and advisory in, in about a dozen companies across uh, you know, metaverse, DAOs, DeFi, NFTs, gaming, and Web3. Does it surprise you? One of the things, you know, and, and I, sometimes I feel it within my own psychology, but does it surprise you when, when you look and, and compare blockchain to the way the internet was in the late 90s, is it surprising that history repeats so clearly every single time? I mean, the resistance that people have to, to, to new innovation, even though it's clear that it is the evolution of what once was the early days of the internet? Uh, hi, hi, history, I'm, I'm humble enough to say it, it rhymes, not, not repeats. You know, ad adoption does have very similar uh, characteristics. The metrics can look very similar. Uh, you know, a lot of people during the pandemic were exposed to uh, R naught and K factors, you know, uh, statistical uh, data concepts that we had rolled out at Zynga. Uh, you know, what we're seeing in 2022 in, in crypto might be a bear market for traders, but it's absolutely a bull market for builders. You know, when, when you look at the adoption growth rates, the adoption trends, the product market fit, that growth in Web3 is compounding day by day, month by month. Um, yeah, it's pretty steady and, and it's, you know, uh, just great to look at those metrics and help build a lot of that revolution. Yeah, I mean, the, the other probably angle to this, and I've heard the same, I mean, obviously, I'm a big believer of always playing the long game. It doesn't matter whether it's an investment Absolutely. or a relationship. I think it really pays off dividends, maybe in the long run. Um, but I think, yeah, the, the long game favors the bold. But the, the one thing I've been hearing a lot, even in the NFT space, uh, with folks who are you know deeply involved in it, is in the short term, a lot of it is driven by hype. And there's a lot of maybe, you know, non-quality uh, assets right now in the market. And that's an inevitable. But does it also concern you that sometimes a lot of these new entrants who are playing the short game kind of reduce the quality of the credibility or reputation of this new technology? In every market, uh, you know, exercise caution around the, the, the average versus the 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 quality, the top tier, you know, um, yeah. Just like every innovation, you know, um, especially in blockchain today, that the barriers to entry are very low. You know, you, you, you can set up a code repository and contribute to the blockchain revolution from your 
from your couch, uh, from, from the beach, you know, or, or wherever. And, and so because it's so accessible, you, you, you can get a variety of different intentions, a variety of different uh, timing outlooks, short-term, long-term, medium-term. Um, by and large at Decasonic, we, we focus on the long-term builders, the long-term investors, uh, you know, the holy grail of building uh, businesses is to build iconic brands, something that the Pritzker organization has done for generations, you know, of all the potential leads for our fund. Um, that's why I chose them to be the anchor investor. And, and so we, we approach this with, uh, you know, work with the top tier talent, uh, work with those who are positive, some well-intentioned building a better tomorrow and, you know, doing it for the long run. Larger funds have also are putting their belief, not only the technology, but of course you, uh, and the fund itself to, to really spearhead that, um, Paul, when you think of, of the metaverse, right, and I think as a, as a concept, you know, it, it really isn't new. I mean, I remember reading an article that, that mentioned that the author, uh, Neil Stephenson, you know, first used that, that word in a science fiction novel called Snow Crash. I think it was in like 1992, um, a year before I was born. Um, but, you know, the, the concept of it where it's a fully realized digital world exists beyond the one in which we live in. But when people hear things like, you know, someone bought a $400,000 piece of land near Snoop Dogg's, you know, Meta Castle or mansion. Um, how, how do you for what's actually real and term within the metaverse and what's, you know, way out in the next 10, 20 years? For, for gaming execs like myself, uh, that the metaverse sounds a lot like uh, that the virtual worlds we were building at Zynga or, or even earlier Second Life. Um, the, 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 these can be uh, you know, uh, avatars that represent alter ego um, in a context uh, that you know, may you know, uh, uh, trigger your imagination I think that that's a vision of the metaverse where it's uh, alter ego and in virtual reality, you know, that, that can be very gaming like, um, yeah, in a, another aspect of the metaverse there, there might be a, another layer of, uh, context and data that's overlaid onto, uh, in real life reality and, and you know whether you call that augmented reality or mixed reality uh, that there's a lot of big tech investing in the hardware to enable uh, context layers in an augmented reality world yeah facebook is working on this microsoft is working on this apple is working on this um, another aspect that just blows my mind is uh, you know the digital twin yeah, where you keep your self and you alter the context. And, and you know, this is a tremendous opportunity for warehouses and supply chains and logistics to um, A-B test with photorealistic video reels of what, what's going on in, in their uh, supply chain. And, and that, that's a, a, another world of applying data, AI, uh, you know, computer vision, computer processing to uh, tremendously make our, our supply chains and our economy more efficient.
Yeah, I mean, those are all really, really uh, important points there. And, and I remember one thing actually that uh, Mark Zuckerberg was saying uh, about the metaverse on, on one of the podcasts recently. And I think one of the things he was mentioning is, you know, the, the whole purpose and, and behind that, the branding is, is, I'm sure you know, is kind of getting away from them just being Facebook, of course, because now they own a bunch of different social marketplaces, Instagram being one, but also how a lot of these social media platforms are static in nature, which is true. I mean, you're there, even if you're there, let's say an hour or two a day, as soon as you get off of Instagram or Facebook or whatever platform you use, you're no longer engaged. So there is this kind of rigidness that he was talking about and how in a you know, more connected digital world, to your point, you can have that twin that lives on and offline as well, but you can access it in a deeper, more engaging way. So I just feel like the way he explained it was a bit more clear to me versus, you know, a lot of the headlines that as soon as they change, like you had a lot of, you know, and, and, and wor worry versus like excitement and optimism. I, I, I'm optimistic about the metaverse. It, it, it should enhance uh, our meaningful relationships uh, in, in the future internet. And I think technology has evolved to a point where, uh, you know, we can choose so many different ways to communicate, to connect, to enjoy media, to enjoy life through technology. And, and uh, you know, so certainly there are aspects of technology that, that we have to be cautious of. And, and as product, you know, people and designers, we, we have to minimize the, the downside, but by and large, the, the innovators I work with are, are so optimistic about creating a better tomorrow. Well, speaking, and, and, you know, it is reassuring for someone really looking at this space deeply to say that, you know, they're op optimistic. It obviously reassures me a little bit. Um, but, you know, but just curious, Paul, uh, what, what sort of real applications do you see heading into 22 that, you know, blockchain, for instance, or even the metaverse can have, aside from maybe just the game, like what are some examples of, of real use cases that people can get their head around aside from maybe this, you know, some of the superficial ones that they might already be aware of. George, a, a, a blog post that we've put on our website is uh, all about how blockchain use cases are, are verbs in web two when we're executing uh, at Zynga, Ben Gordon and Mark Pincus referenced, you know, how some of the best Web2 companies were synonymous with verbs. Um, yeah, if I ask you, uh, you know, when, when I say search, what what brand do you think of, George? Sorry, which one was it? Search. Oh, obviously Google. Yeah. Uh, shop is Amazon. Share is Facebook or Instagram. Right. Um, Today, you DocuSign or Airbnb or Venmo someone. I was recently at the Satoshi Roundtable and I led a session on funding and growth trends for use cases. And, and uh, my, my framework that I shared with you know, the blockchain crypto leaders is this concept of verbs. And if you can own a verb in Web3, uh, you've probably hit a billion dollar product market fit. So uh, my, my quick inventory was that there are about $20 billion verbs today. Yeah. What, what's amazing is I, I think there are hundreds more uh, verbs to build that could gain tremendous uh, mainstream, mainstream adoption.
But that's such an important piece that you just mentioned there. And have you, side note, have you ever read the book, uh, 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing? I, I, I haven't, no. I'm going to send you that book, man. I, I okay. Think you, I think you'd love it. It's actually an older book, to be frank. It's not a new, it's not like a, you know, one that's, it's, I think it's like more than 10 years old as an example, which is not that old, but still. Um, the reason I bring it up, one, is exactly what you just mentioned. And although it seems kind of logical, once you read it, you actually take note of how many new entrants or first entrants into a market stood the test of time and how many, like for instance, Uber is a good example, you know, or, or Airbnb to your point and how many of side platforms tried to emerge that just weren't able to be as successful, you know, Facebook's another good example. I mean, there is that stickiness factor and also kind of the cost of customers changing a, a platform or a technology that they don't really need to. You know, so that's what chapter one is about. And if you can't be first to a market, maybe creating a, a different market, uh, you know, for your product. So anyways, it's a really, really cool book. It's awesome. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big reader during the pandemic. I, I, I set a goal of reading a, a book a week and, uh, and it, it was, it was such a great habit. A, a book I, I a week. Tell me, do you, do you have like a, a framework as to how you read? Um, Read many books at once. Read, read okay. you know, to 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 uh, stay in the flow state. Um, read everything and anything. Uh, keep keep that mind open. And the the, the simplest thing is, uh, you, you could always find thirty minutes in a day, or or maybe three ten minute sessions to to do some deep reading. And and it's uh, exercise for the mind and um, uh, amazing. It, it, it was great during. Yeah, the pandemic. What would be maybe, uh, I, I dislike asking one because sometimes that makes it too difficult, but what about like three books that you'd recommend? One maybe you read recently. Oh, uh, you know, um, I, could rec- I, I could recommend a ton of them. Um, yeah, the, the, the one that uh, I think a, a lot of people should pick up right now and, and it's relevant to our conversation and, and, and I'll just keep it to one mm-hmm. is uh, Exponential Age. Um, what, what doesn't get covered in the media today is how fast technology is accelerating and impacting our, our, our society today. Uh, the exponential growth of processing power, the transformative nature of precision medicine to literally roll out a generational innovation in mRNA. I mean, that, that's transformative. Uh, the power of algorithms to uh, you know, enhance AI and improve our society. Uh, I think that there's so much to dive into that area. You know, uh, Azim's done a great job of making it mainstream accessible. So you, you don't have to go too deep into technical, um, you know, but the, the inventors are out there. We're, we're dreaming of many things to impact society. And yeah, you know, a, a lot of them will continue to lift our, our living standards for, for generations to come. That's amazing. I'm going to pick that up. I, I haven't read that, but uh, yeah, the compounding effect that you're talking about is a book called The Psychology of Money. Different tangent, but they were one chapter was on compounding interest. And one example they actually used was the evolution of, of, space, of storage space in a phone. Uh, you know, th- think about going from a gigabyte, the speed of which that happened, um, and the evolution of just the, the, the phone in general. Uh, uh, another great book. I, I, I... I gave a, a bunch of people that book too, and, and uh, another 
lesson learned there is don't don't break compounding. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, don't, don't don't make those mistakes that you know uh, 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 break your interest rate on that savings account or or uh, you know the, the the other thing to consider in the psychology of money. A great great book and mm. loved reading it. Um, it. It is just you know taking that long term view of how compounding can radically transform yourself, make, make yourself unrecognizable from, you know, a, a year, two years, five years past. You know, if, if you are truly compounding, you, you, you should be embarrassed about your, 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 your past. Yeah, that's very true. And it applies to everything. Um, well, Paul, listen, it's, this was a pleasure. Uh, I definitely, I was excited about this conversation, but every, every chance I have to, to kind of chat with you about where we're heading, the future of technology is always a, a real pleasure. So I appreciate your time today. Uh, thank you for having me. If you found this podcast useful, make sure to share it out with your community. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the podcast. And I'll see you next time.